I'm Renee Van Medding. Welcome to Disordered, a podcast about food, our relationship with our bodies, and learning to live and love yourself again. I am not an expert in eating disorders, but I am someone who has lived with one for almost two decades. I'm not here to give medical advice, but simply to try and unpick some of the complexity of disordered eating through a series of conversations I will have with people who are speaking from first-hand experience. Disordered eating will impact each and every one of us at some point in our lives. I want to delve deeper. At what point does disordered eating become an eating disorder? Through looking closer at the spectrum of these mental illnesses, I hope that you will be challenged in your own view of what an eating disorder looks like. This week, I'm thrilled to share with you the first part of a conversation I had with Jacqueline Campion from the Marino Therapy Centre. Speaking with Jackie and meeting someone who has dedicated their life to helping those with eating disorders to make a full recovery was an honor for me. Jackie is herself fully recovered from her own eating distress and her views on recovery have been inspirational to me in my own journey. Hi Jacqueline! Hello! <laughs> Thanks for coming in. Oh thank you so much for asking me. I was chuffed. I'm very excited. Thank you. I'm fangirling a little bit. <laughs> I think that we probably could talk for days and still have lots to talk about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming in. And I am delighted to get a chance to pick your brains. Oh, God. <laughs> um, you don't regret that. <laughs> um, so as I do with all of my guests, I would like to just ask you a little bit about yourself. So um, who are you? Who am I? Oh, my God. It's like the first session of recovery isn't it um who am I um my name is Jacqueline Campion I still feel a little funny when I say that I'm an eating distress practitioner and coach and that's what I do professionally um so I kind of teach people um how to free themselves from eating distress and eating disorders um I personally have my own personal experiences um I'm fully recovered from god how many years you kind of start to do this count, don't you? you? Do. Um, like, I don't know what, like over about, I'd say maybe over 15 years mm-hmm. of eating distress from my own personal experience. So, yeah, so it's not just kind of professionally that I kind of have the the experience in that area. I'm very passionate about it. And yeah, that I, I'm just really passionate about the topic of recovery and freedom. And yeah, that's why I suppose I was just so excited even to kind of come in here because it's just it's really energizing when you meet other people that have the same kind of passion because I kind of go through kind of ebbs and is it ebbs and flows yeah ups yeah. and downs yeah. so ups <laughs> and downs with it sometimes because I think when you're kind of quite passionate about something and you want change there you can get a little bit kind of it can be a bit sometimes tiring or isolating or a bit lonely you sometimes yeah. kind of think you know I know you were kind of talking about it, you know, during the week or maybe last week about like asking certain questions or like, what's the point? So it's moments like this mm-hmm. where it's really energizing to remind yourself you're not alone with it. So yeah, that I don't know the the question of who I am could probably go on for a lot longer. <laughs> but that's, that's the synopsis. OK, so tell me a little bit about like when you were a child, what was um what was that like? What was that like? Yeah, so like probably, I mean, when I think about those things, I probably like, I'm, I'm quite an emotional person, so I don't often kind of reflect personally on these things. Mm. So it can still bring up quite a bit of emotion for me. So if I think about like as a child, like what was I like? Um, 
Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is probably not the most kind of content child. Mm. Like there was definitely moments of contentment, but from how I remember it and now, um, like my eating distress would have kind of, I mean, my earliest memories would have been around like five, six, seven, um, like just quite uncomfortable um within myself and mm. I know like my mom would have even noticed that like even from I mean an early age like she was like when I was breastfeeding she was like I knew there was that super sensitivity there was something kind of going on wow. she has her own personal yeah, experiences yeah. so my mom like I'm working at the Merino Therapy Centre which is a centre that my mom founded back in 91 so that's like what 30 years ago. Merino Therapy Centre was founded 30 years ago by Marie Campion who is also Jackie's mom. The ethos is based on the belief that eating disorders and eating distress are a reaction to our environment and affect the whole person and not just in a physical sense. They promote a holistic view of each person and address recovery on an emotional, physical, mental and spiritual level. Jackie literally grew up in a therapy centre and yet she herself developed an eating disorder. It's interesting to see that everything was in place for her to have a healthy relationship with herself and food. This really shows us that EDs cannot be easily defined. There is no one pathway to the development of a problematic relationship with food and our bodies. There are many factors, such as societal influence, genetic markers, an individual's personality, and traumatic events in a person's life. But they are so complex and can develop even within an environment that from the outside could be seen to be ideal. So like with childhood, I would have probably looked quite um, extrovert, probably like very kind of happy, smiley, kind of go lucky. Um, That would have kind of progressed as things went on. But my kind of like, you know, everything was in place, you know, mom, dad, my sister, meals together structure you know all like there was no all kind the things of you're supposed to have absolutely <laughs> do you know um all of those things but yeah I suppose for childhood yeah like I, I always just remember feeling like not good enough um constantly crippling comparing there was always this sense of any time I was trying to enjoy something it was like that voice would come in and kind of like don't get too ahead of yourself or you know don't be getting excited about this and I suppose at that time I just you know the the inability to really enjoy something like I used everything was became a competition against myself against other people you know to to really enjoy something if I got moments of it soon the kind of like that kind of I would refer to like the ED as like an abusive partner that kind of comes back being like oh you know where were you kind of during the day so yeah like I mean on on paper it was absolutely like you know it was it was perfect there but I just kind of do have a sense of just feeling you know quite kind of conscious quite uncomfortable very uncomfortable with myself and yeah like how would I that's probably how I would describe my childhood um it's interesting isn't it because sometimes I think we think that in order for an eating disorder to develop there has to be some big yeah. trauma or yeah. like your parents split up or someone dies or, you know, and that's just not true, is it? Absolutely. I mean, like I literally grew up in a therapy centre. Like that's <laughs> how I suppose that's part of my childhood. Like I've grown up around recovery all my life. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was I was very fortunate. And I suppose it's even shows like 
you know, even with that, I suppose, like I grew up no, like knowing full freedom was possible, recovery was possible. Like, you know, my mom was very active in that area, but growing up in a therapy center, and I suppose even for parents, even listening and carers listening, it's still, you know, it was still kind of happening at home. It was still impacting me. So there was nothing traumatic happening. If anything, the actual opposite. I was surrounded by people recovering, recovered people, watching these kind of amazing journeys, you know, um, all of those things like that. But I suppose, now I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I suppose in reflection, I just, I could really relate to a lot of the things um, that, let's say, the people that my mom was working with at the time, I could really relate to that. And then there was moments where that kind of gave me a little bit of maybe um, comfort. And then there was moments where that absolutely terrified me mm. that I was like, oh no um this is kind of familiar so yeah like I mean as I said yeah never mind anything traumatic happening um like growing up in a therapy center and it was it was still there do you know so at what point did your kind of eating distress actually develop like when like were you very young or was it kind of later in your teen yeah so I mean I always I kind of call it like food racism a little bit that like I literally was nourishing with very little Mm -hmm. like you know I kind of there was certain foods of certain colors that I was like no I just don't have them (laughs) that's why I call it I was like I'm only having white foods you know and like you are describing one of my children yeah (laughs) yeah well she is going to be a fabulous sensitive gifted young lady yes (laughs) because yeah like just and like to a point where my mom was like right white buttons it is today like just trying to get something in and I remember like people obviously you know on the outside like Jesus you're feeding your child white buttons and she's like yes and today's actually a really positive day like you know so for for me like yeah the 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 behaviors were there like god like the distress around the food, I kind of remember like, yeah, it was always very kind of, it, I went through, I kind of ticked all the boxes, you know, being competitive, you know, I was like, right, I'll kind of go through all the behaviours. But yeah, from from an early like dinner times were like just meal times were just a nightmare, you know, yeah. and never mind even those times, like even beforehand. So like, the as I said, the discomfort with my body around kind of like six and seven, I remember just even kind of getting ready for, like getting ready for PE um, was that day in school. And the level of discomfort where you want to like actually cut your body off and mm-hmm. run away, like it's mm-hmm. kind of challenging for some people to kind of even comprehend how, how much distress, that's I suppose what I'd refer to as like, it's just there's so much distress happening internally. So yeah, from quite an early age, and then it kind of chopped and changed and like, you know, different behaviors then I was obviously there was a lot of kind of restrictions so then I was kind of trying to hide foods that then I was eating didn't want anybody to see me obviously thought like I was great at hiding those things but like sure you know people can actually they they knew what was kind of happening so yeah from a very early age um so between five and, and and 19 I kind of ticked a lot of the boxes with all the different behaviors yeah. in terms of like restriction you know, I'd refer to it as like giving the body more than it wants, emotional overeating, you know, what people are calling binging, you know, getting rid of it in lots of different kind of ways, using alcohol, all those kind of different mm. things. Just, just really went for it, I suppose. And I, I wonder, like, that must have been very complicated with your mom because I'm, you know, just thinking myself as someone who has had my own very long experience mm. with this, if I was watching one of my own children mm. go through that. So I wonder... Yeah. Um, like at what point did she step in or did she step in 
Yeah, it was a really kind of, I suppose, well, I say maybe confusing. It wasn't maybe black and white because my mom, like this, you're talking, what, 25 years ago. I'm maybe doing the maths wrong, but like at least 20 years ago, 25 years ago, my mom knew what the treatment of ED was like back mm-hmm. then. I mean, we were still treating people with electric shock treatment. Like she was having clients that were kind of trying to come away from that and being treated like that. So mom was very much, I was like, it was recovery homeschooling. Um, it wasn't, I did, like she used to give me like adapted to maybe obviously five, six, seven, like I wasn't doing journaling, but she got me to draw certain pictures of what was going on. So for mom, I suppose mom is very much so like, um, she wouldn't really, she doesn't really indulge too much in fears. She's very much so like, okay, like, what can we do about it? You know, um, so she knew what was happening. There was no denial there, but she, there was always, there's always hope, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't blaming herself because she's seen obviously how like psychology can be really damaging for parents. Do you know, like my mom, like is, is from like the Czech Republic. Like she escaped Czechoslovakia and communism and her, our accents are so different. And I've grown up around her. Like, you know, we, we talk very differently, but she hasn't got the same kind of influence. So people can often, I know we've done interviews together and some people are like, and like, do you think Marie, it's because, you know, of your situation or because of the work that you did. And I think we often want to kind of go into those kind of blames and for parents and stuff like that, where it's like, she was like, right, I have my understanding this is what's happening. I'm not afraid of it. It's, it's, I think we're eating distress and maybe the more you kind of speak to people, like it's, it's not something, it's like you plan a holiday and you're ready to kind of go to Spain and then you land and you're suddenly you've kind of, you've arrived to Holland and you're like, no, I'm not into it. Like, like ED <laughs> is not something I'd wish on anybody, but from my personal and experiences kind of professionally, it's like a, if you really kind of engage with the freedom journey, it's a precursor for really experiencing things that I don't think I wouldn't be here experiencing life at the same levels if it wasn't for the kind. It's like my your tormentors are your mentors a little bit. So, yeah, I know mom definitely didn't. I mean, look, she definitely didn't find it easy. And there was probably moments of that where she was like, right, OK, but she's very much so a woman of like, it's not asking why, it's asking what can we do about it? So, yeah. um, yeah, like, I mean, she wrote she wrote the book Hope and, and she wrote like Recovery Now, but I wouldn't read like there's a manual she wrote Recovery Now. It's like 365 tips for eating distress. And I wasn't going near it. Like I had so much, I did not want to be associated with any sort of levels. I had a lot of different kind of journeys where I was angry, I was resentful. Um, I didn't want to be I just was people with ED or the, my own kind of condition and judged it quite a lot I didn't want to be associated with that um, so I only started reading some of these things when she was like look just see it as like an emotional distress it's just for kind of maybe stress or like you know I'd obviously have a lot of headaches and stuff like that and she's like that's just to maybe make life a bit easier but there was no way I was like well I'm not reading this because it's something to do with ED Yeah. so that like I suppose um I'm kind of rambling a bit there. Like, hopefully that answers your question. I don't even know what I asked. Oh, grand. I suppose you're talking. Yeah, I mean, like... But what you're saying is great. Okay, well, fingers (laughs) crossed. I suppose, yeah, like, my journey with it was very confusing, I have to say. Um, Like, I went to more, maybe, sessions as someone who was just finalising their recovery. So it was like recovery homeschooling. And I found Did you go through treatment through the centre? So, towards the end. (laughs) So, I was just... Like I, I, I just didn't even want to be caught dead in the center. Sometimes there was some like, there was just so much shame that I carried and judgment mm. of myself that I genuinely there were some moments where I was like, oh, I'm not like any of these. Like the way the mm. voice in my head was like, 
that's them over there and that's this is me I'm different I'm I not have like, my own special yeah thing like I'm on. not and, and even the idea of like the value of size like oh my god I spent so long trying to convince people I was smart and then this value of like size was coming and I was like mm. this is so unintellectual like I was yeah. like this doesn't no I'm not doing I'm not doing I was like I have all a couple of similarities but I'm fine around that this doesn't bother me so um oh god what was the question again yeah so like so, when when you did when you did oh, the treatment go through treatment what what did that look like yeah homeschooling worksheets that my mom gave me exercise yeah. that she gave me from a young age drawn like kind of pictures learning to talk about what was kind of coming up for me describing it in different ways um reading reading her books that she was writing but never with the label because I was very defensive of that for a while and then I suppose when I was maybe about 19 um, 20 I had kind of attended a couple of sessions with practitioners because at the time like mom had the merino therapy center there was about maybe oh god I think there was maybe like maybe 12 practitioners maybe like 15 20 care workers like it was it was it was quite a large center at the time so I was going for sessions then and I remember I spent a whole session trying to verbalize I couldn't say it like um I've had an eating disorder so like and at that point had you ever said that I don't oh no like I remember the sessions like I actually like literally couldn't cope so many people struggle with the question as to whether they really have an eating disorder they ask themselves am I really bad enough am I really sick enough do I really deserve the help the answers to these questions can in of itself be a barrier to a person asking for help or actually being in a place of readiness to recover. As we've seen throughout this series, the language we use is crucial when it comes to discussing disordered eating and behaviours. It's interesting to note how Jackie has changed the language around some of the terminology when we are discussing these issues. Her use of phrases such as eating distress as opposed to eating disorders, or emotional overeating rather than binging, is helpful in connecting the emotive meaning behind these terms to the practical terminology we use. As you probably can tell, like so I use the terms eat and distress as opposed to eat and disorder because for, for my personal experience, it was more kind of empowering and enabling to kind of see that it was a distress that was eating me. But I was like, well, you know, you are going to be talking about eating disorders. Like people use that language, Jacqueline. Yeah. But to even to say, like, I couldn't even make peace with it, you know, mm. like there was still for someone who was like, oh, I just don't use that word. And I was like, be honest with yourself. There's actually a bit of shame there or yeah. like, so I remember those sessions um, saying, yeah, I've had an eating disorder. And it's interesting. I know um, last week you're putting up on the Instagram about like, you know, did I actually have an ED? Do mm. I actually have ED? Like I, I mean, in full honesty, I mean, like, well, I'm recovered now about like 10 years definitely within those 10 years I sometimes have a fleeting thought being like did you actually was like, it really yeah, yeah like yeah. you know and it's just so fun like I know even like when I was maybe I kind of started taking recovery into my own hands a little bit in terms of like taking ownership of it and a bit of responsibility when I was around 16 I remember finding like the secret and the like the law of attraction at that time and like the universe and energies and, and what you're putting out there. And that really was something at the time that really clicked for me. Like I remember mom saying to me because like, she knew she was walking on eggshells. I was very defensive about taking on the, the label of eating the stress. And there is a time and place for it. I also went through a stage where I was like, please tell me I have ED because mm. people were st- I, I came home a couple of times. People were kind of 
calling me a couple of names about like how my body looked at the mm. time and I was like why are they saying those things like mm. do I have this because then I went through a stage where I really wanted a label I mm. was like I just really wanted to identify with something then I also wanted people I went through stages of like I wish people knew how hard it was for me but um I remember mom saying well you know you you have your own personal experiences and I was like sorry what and she's like well you'd know like you'd know what they're experiencing you'd have similar experiences I was like sorry no I was like, that's totally different. And I suppose it just really highlights, like, I'd always be asking, are you sure? And just, it's mad when you, at the time it made so much sense for me to really doubt. And it's, just, again, like I was talking about, it's such mind games. Like, you know, it's even this idea of a label and stuff like that and trying to just, like, it's not that bad. Like, I was never in hospital. Yeah, and, and that's, I think that's really difficult for people because if you aren't given that label, either by yourself or a loved one or a health professional then you're kind of stuck in this no man's land and I get so many people just saying well do I really do I have one you know I've I think I do I asked for help I was told yeah you know my my physicality didn't match with what you know they're taught yeah an ED looks like so maybe I don't have one yeah and then that just kind of feeds into the cycle of what the ED is telling you. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't want to be using too many kind of language, but it's just such bullshit. Like, it's yeah. so... And I suppose what it reflects, and from my own personal journey and what we're seeing, because this is still happening. Mm-hmm. Like, it's literally a joke shop that is 2021. And I suppose from, like, it's it's this whole, the lack of understanding. Like, if you... And I suppose that's <clears throat> why I find it helpful to use as a term as a like a distress because it's almost like you have to qualify for a disorder mm-hmm. and sure the mindset that you have trying to get a label sure you're never going to be good enough you're mm-hmm. never going to be sick enough i have explored the idea of recovery throughout this series my opinion and own personal feelings have been challenged and as a result the possibility of full recovery is something which i am now contemplating and exploring but where did that limiting belief come from So many of us are told we have to learn to live with an eating disorder. Where did that come from and why is it so difficult to accept the possibility of full recovery? Throughout my journey, the messaging around recovery has been that it is something I would have to learn to manage. A lot of my guests would have been exposed to similar messaging and as a result share similar beliefs. Does this message affect how ED treatment has evolved and the development of the supports available in Ireland? Is the message that we just have to live with it intrinsically linked to the services that exist today? If full recovery is in fact possible, then what is being done about it? What are the actions being taken? Where is the funding going and how is it being spent? I am challenging myself to focus on these questions and am calling for them to be answered. I've grown up with my mom kind of saying these messages for the last like 20 odd years 25 years and we're still saying the same stuff like we're really making moves and I know and like I mean for me personally going into working in the area I had I kind of got to a point where I was like I was saying to mom like what's the point Mm. why Mm. like really you can get like and I'm sure you understand yourself like and that like when if you want to be really active about something like it's yeah you have your ups and downs like it's 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 kind of like it can be so upsetting and disheartening and you just get those days and you just want to stop 
and cry and you hear things and like I suppose I put up a post on the Instagram on the Merino Instagram like a few maybe I don't know maybe weeks or months I don't know what they are and it could have been last year I don't know but it's not <laughs> like you can be fully recovered because like when you're wor- like the, the stuff that you're like you couldn't make it up what you hear about how people are treated what they're being told like you actually couldn't make it up and I suppose for me personally I've kind of taken a bit of a step back of like getting and like I've gone to these meetings I've gone to these think tanks like I went to one they're called think tanks it was in Farmley House a couple of years ago and I actually went I my body went into actually shock it was so like I was sitting at a table of like people really influential people in really influential positions you know working with vulnerable people and saying to me that I make you know recovering from what and I make it sound like um utopia you know, and I was like, what hope if it was a thing that it was a we were coming together trying to encourage young people to access services. I was like, I wouldn't be bothered accessing a service if someone's telling me you need to learn to live with it. You need to learn to manage it. And I just think it's 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 a really um, like it's disgusting. Like, and I suppose mm. it's kind of like maybe that that's quite a harsh word, but sometimes I'm. I need to make choices of like that's why I was making the podcast and even kind of coming on to things like this because I was like this is so disheartening like these are people's lives like this are these are families do you know like this isn't just numbers I'm sometimes like Jesus if we just spend a little less time researching everything here's a new study here's a new study yeah rain is wet (laughs) the wheels on the car are round like what are we doing about it the amount like there's money out there like there's money, there is f- people, there are like organizations are being funded. Study studies are being studies are great. Like, but what what are we doing about it? Do you know? So like as you can see here, I have to sometimes like make those decisions where I like that's why like with the podcast or with the Instagram, it's probably more for me sometimes than anybody else. Because it's like, what can we do about it? Cause it's it's like there's so many egos in in the mental health industry like it's just like the talk i situations i've tried i've stopped going to these things mm. getting invited to them and maybe that's kind of like i've sometimes reflected it's like is that giving up and it's like like i don't have the energy and resources to focus on my own self-care to focus on clients and to focus on putting the recovery message out there like i had to go home and i just went to bed for the rest of the day i couldn't mm. believe what i was hearing and like, so this is the thing about like ego, like the mental health sector. It's like, like it's, it's, we need to kind of actually look at, like there's so many separate organizations. Like, can we kind of come together? Like why, why is there so many different charities? Like it so dilutes it because my personal reflection of what I've seen, and I suppose I've seen over the years from mom's experiences as well, that like, the level of ego is like, and being honest, if if you were speaking to me 10 years ago, I'd have a massive chip on my shoulder because when I started off, I probably didn't, I wasn't that maybe secure sometimes within what I was saying, because I suppose when you work in the area of recovery, you're constantly getting challenged about what you're being said. So mm-hmm. every time I'm working either with a client or when I'm doing interviews or even with the media, you know, will you send us in a few photographs of what you used to look like? No. <laughs> no I'm not sending that in that's creepy that you're asking for that if anyone else was asking for that they'd be reported (laughs) do you know but it's like and I remember I was in it like um particular media station and or on a tv one and you're wondering if she got down her hunger she's like and how are you with the food now and I was like (laughs) I, I was like how are you with the food now I was like 
what? Like, have you done any research about what we're about to go in and talk about? And so tell me what it's like. I was like, yeah, like I'm actually like grand. Like what? So I just, I don't know. Like I bounce. That's why even sometimes like for yourself and the work that I see yourself doing, you know, and that kind of activism, the first thing that always comes to mind is that like, you know, how can we kind of come to be together to even kind of protect one another's energy as well? Because there's only so much that it's you so can be doing. It's so exhausting. Do. Like, and like I went, oh, look, I don't, I, 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 so I do sometimes maybe need to pull it back because I get really passionate about it. And like, look, obviously you get messages, you get DMs, you hear from clients. It's like, you really, if, if you want to get that kind of effective change, it's so important that we're really taking care of ourselves as well. And I suppose that's why I've stopped going to these meetings and I've stopped going to these mm. kind of conversations because it's often like sometimes some people just like the sound of their own voices and yeah. like, what are you actually doing though? Yeah. Um, let's talk about what actually is being done because Sorry. no, yes. but like I, I completely agree. And it is, it's so exhausting to be fighting for something that's so personal and you can see the, like the lives that are being lost, destroyed, people dying, families being torn apart mm. and what is being done about it, you know? So what is it? How, how many millions were set aside? Oh, in geez, the last couple of years was it I don't even know I read the last it was something like 40 million it was I, a huge... there was a massive and then I think there was like even just for last year was there like 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 millions and a fraction like a tiny fraction has been spent and I think one thing as well is that the convert like I remember like I've before I was a like a practitioner I wanted to be a politician right so I used to be in like you'd so be I'm a great politician well, <laughs> 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 well I remember no neighbor said to me you'll have no friends if you're one of them so I was like okay but um I remember like I was wanted to get into this like doll and oak they'd set up right anyway so um I think I was in maybe in first year and it was like this connect, like you were talking about things. So I was talking about, at that time I was talking about the hospital beds. Like, so one thing is, it's like people keep talking about hospital beds for people with ED. But like if we had a system in place, like hospital beds from my personal experiences were working, that's not where the full freedom is happening. Mm -hmm. That's where you go to when you're hitting crisis point. It, it doesn't have to get to that place. So yeah. sometimes it's like, zoom and out and seeing it more kind of holistically where you're getting this system in place you're getting this understanding no one ever needs to end up in a hospital bed mm -hmm. when it comes to ed if we have the understanding and if we have the understanding of both the condition and of the freedom of it and the recovery of it like and you know you've been getting messages this week like what you how like look it's not the, it's not like you said it's not the staff's pro problem it's a systematical issue mm. but like this talk about hospital beds that's a band-aid on a pothole yeah like are we making the investments are we putting in the time is there somebody in position that doesn't just care about votes like this is a political issue now mm. and this is unfortunately mental health and talking about suicide and talking about eds they're political issues you know, and it all, and it, then it just gets passed on. Mm. Like I know that there was a few years ago, like Helen McAtee was in there doing fabulous work, mm. and then they just moved them around again. And yeah. and like and that's it's it's like, are we ready? And I think it's coming from a kind of new world change of like, sorry, you asked the question, what's happening, and I'm just I'm going on to something else. But it's <laughs> like, I suppose just being aware of our own egos when you can kind of like when you want to be kind of making change so yeah sorry so what is actually happening was the question yeah what what is happening like what it seems like it's very little like um i don't know a huge amount about the sector but i you know anecdotally just from what yeah. people tell me yeah 
it just seems like if someone is at a point where they want to seek help mm. and they recognize that there is an issue um they're being told by their gps that they're not sick enough or they're being treated badly by their gps with really inappropriate comments being told could you just not eat or could you just stop eating mm-hmm. or you know just all of these like really mm-hmm. inappropriate comments and then if someone is lucky enough to access uh free treatment whether that's inpatient or outpatient a time frame is put on it yeah if they aren't recovered in yeah. that time frame they're told there's nothing left we can do for you yeah um if they're not sick enough you know huge inverted commas there yeah. um if they're not sick enough they can't access the treatment and they have to pay for it privately yeah. um and most people can't do that most people don't have thousands of euro to spend on treatment per yeah. week or even 70 or 100 euro on a therapy session yeah or a session with a dietitian people don't have that money yeah um so yeah what is happening <laughs> like where do people go I think like unfortunately like I was asked that question before but where do you go and like you always hear people say go to your GP and like go to your GP if you have a GP that has understanding like we we're affiliated with a GP Dr. Tarek Zarab and he is just like has an understanding of eating distress so Mm. like unfortunately again it's that system like it like GPs you get I think it's one afternoon on unless they've maybe updated recently but I don't think so but in terms of their training you're getting um one afternoon of eating disorders and nothing about recovery and nothing about like you know so if you go to your GP like you could be met and I suppose like you know, we, we kind of work, you know, alongside and, and, and people are maybe aware of kind of Marino's name and, 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 and things like that. And you can kind of get a referral that way. But like most of the time you get you go to a GP and you're, you're getting put into the system and people are as much as possible trying to stay away from the system. And it's not any reflection on the people that work within the system, but the system itself. Recovery is practical. We often get so caught up in how hopeless ED can seem, both for those going through it and also for your loved ones. I love how Jackie talks about recovery being an investment, mainly a time investment. Contrary to what we've been told, it doesn't always have to cost a lot. There are plenty of free and practical ways to progress your recovery, and one of these ways is through journaling and self-reflection. Invest in a simple journal and then commit to writing in it each day. You can document the things you have learned today and the things which we'd like to do differently or change tomorrow. It can also be a powerful tool in making you more aware of your daily self-talk. How are you talking to yourself? Is it with compassion or are you being hard on yourself? Are the majority of your thoughts controlled by the bully in your head, your ED, or are your thoughts ones of self-compassion and freedom? A journal will help you to practice gratitude for your body and for your journey. It will also allow you to try to examine some of the thoughts and reactions to listening to podcasts like this. We all fall victim to consuming a lot of information without actually taking the time to apply it. Another very practical way to aid your growth towards recovery and structure your day is by reading the recovery tip that is provided on the Merino Therapy Centre every single day. There is always hope and you can always go further into your journey of recovery. Like what is happening, like in terms of like with private 
like obviously like I'm working in a private clinic and the the whole point of me putting together the Colin Out podcast was that like you know we're not gurus like we're not going to free you and I think if you, in terms of like sessions if you can make an investment into a session and then like it's very you don't come in and talk about like how you feel and we'll just stir the dirty water it's very practical so in terms of like what's happening systematically being honest I don't really know mm-hmm. like I I don't really know. There's talks of hubs, there's talks of specialised system, but I suppose because I've grown up with mam, like, like mam's been saying these messages and has been looked at like she's got forty heads with talking about BMI and trying to get rid of it. Do you know and the and and how it's kind of formulated and I've kind of just made the decision to kind of come away like look I in an ideal situation they're putting the money into specialised teams there, but then you, the one thing is that like if you're going to put a specialised team together. Also make sure that the training is there and the understanding is there. So there's one thing throwing money at a problem, but then like, which is whatever, that's not even happening at the minute. But like the understanding, are we promoting full freedom? Are we promoting full recovery? Do we understand the condition? Do we kind of understand like how to like, are we listening? You know, like, so that's like, that's huge in an ideal situation. Like, you know, you're getting that in place. But I suppose I've just made the decision, put the podcast out there, put things like that on the Instagram what you can do recovery is really practical and yes okay don't get me wrong support is absolutely needed I don't think any of us really can be doing it on our own you know like as human beings but if you could even make an investment into like you know one one-to-one session and maybe like the group sessions and things like that like more for like I put things together like kind of like a low cost and no cost because just there's so much that you could do mm. um you know with that kind of support that it doesn't have to cost a lot do you know so that's I suppose I'm kind of just in a place now where I'm like how can we reach more people you know more kind of effectively and if someone is a position being like look this is where I am financially it's like right okay this is the and recovery is an investment Mm. do you know like Mm -hmm. of of time of money and everything like that but like the the understanding of eating stress like we still we still have a fair bit to go with that you know so I mean, look, I always have hope. I've seen changes happen over the last kind of 20 years. But like, I mean, I don't want to sound negative, but it's not good enough. No, it's not. Like, do you know, if people, if you want to do something, you'll do something. Mm. And and I mean, politicians are great at, at kind of actually kind of um, displaying that, mm. you know, you're well able to fly through, like get things passed and lobbying for this and getting that passed. And so if you want to do something, you want to pass something through, you can do that. Yeah. They have the power. And when we kind of have maybe more of a kind of conscious kind of leadership where there's the egos are. And I do feel that people's egos are melting more and more like mine melts more and more. Like, as I said, if this was 10 years ago. I'd be I'd be more angry. Like, mm. you know, I'd be more that kind of like aggressive um kind of more just which which isn't helpful it's more defensive than kind of protective so as i said true kind of like what's it going to do to change the systems get us all kind of coming together get maybe i don't know it needs a lot more than a signature it needs someone to actually within their kind of power to actually care or to maybe be blocked and cornered into a situation where there's going to be so much public outrage that they can't say no which would probably maybe be more likely, which I'm totally up for. But um, yeah, like it comes with a cost as well, personally, like, you know, it does. you yeah. know yourself. Yep. So there. Yeah, yeah, fighting for change does absolutely come at a personal cost. Yeah. 
And I've seen yeah. that. I've seen that. I've, I've grown up with like, look, your recovery is a revolution and I love a revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's days that you just don't have a kind of within you all the time. So that's where like, OK, get my energy and put it into something that could help. Yeah. And I think the podcast that you do and the, the Instagram are very helpful. I know you said earlier, maybe they're for you. And even if they are, I know they help so many people. And um, I direct so many people <laughs> your way. Like I'm like, I don't I don't know the answer to this. So just go look at this. <laughs> well, no, I really appreciate that because like, look, I, I won't like I of co- like I'm not always I don't know how it's landing. I don't know if people are finding it helpful. Like if someone writes a lovely message, I have a little album or a screenshot, all those lovely things. Or like I remember even when you had shared the post that I did on sizeism, I was like, uh, I was like, I even get little goosebumps even like thinking about it. I was like, oh my God, someone's like, because that was a particular post, like where not everybody agrees with, like not everybody agrees with what I say, which is absolutely fine. Yeah. I probably get that from my mother, but it's um, when you shared that and that kind of like, it, it gives you a lot of energy as well that like, like, I, don't get me wrong, like, I'm so passionate about this, but I suppose I'm just getting to a place where you're, like, just really focused on what we can do about it. Yeah, like, the podcast, the IGTVs, like, I love talking about recovery. I mm. love talking about freedom. Like, wherever you are in the journey, like, there's always a solution. There's nothing that can't be made easier, no matter what your situation is. Like, you know, if you, whatever kind of environment you're growing up in, like, you know, that's like I mean one thing I've got the privilege the last 10 years and even before that like being part of people's or witnessing people's journeys like people like human beings are just absolute powerhouses like the clients I'm working with are like sounds like such a cliche but like full-on inspirations Mm. like I don't know I think most that's sometimes as well I'm getting more from the sessions in there sometimes (laughs) like I'm like what like this is just so you know, so it's just like, I hope it doesn't come across that I'm like, I don't have a lot of hope. I just think, um, yeah, like I'm still up for a challenge. Like, do you know, like I'm definitely, I haven't given up on those things, but I'm so sick of people just sometimes talking and not backing it up. Like yeah, yeah. money's out there. You have the power, you have the influence. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. Like be honest about it as well. Like, you know, yeah. not just like when the, when the headlines come in and you get found out that there's zero spent. Like, yeah. Join me next week as the conversation with Jackie continues. If you need medical advice, please speak to a professional. You can contact Bodywise, the national charity for eating disorders in Ireland, on 01 210 7906. Or you can get in touch with the Marino Therapy Centre, specialists in eating disorder recovery, through their website on www.marinotherapycentre.com. Thank you again for listening and I hope that this conversation has been helpful to you in some way. I'm Renee Von Medding and this has been Disordered. Disordered.